I felt like we were these weird little cute, charming rock stars during the pandemic because people were so charmed by our story. Whether or not that meant they could, we could either activate them to the help, give us money, spread the word, help drive stuff around. You know, it was effective and it was basically a movement. Hi, I'm Christina Wong, and you are entering a world gone good. Well, hello, my name's Steve. Welcome to World Gone Good, the podcast where we shine the light or find the light in the darkness to prove on a weekly basis that life and people and humanity aren't as awful as Twitter makes us believe. Speaking of Twitter, are you following us there? You should be. We are at World Gone Good 1. That is World Gone Good with the number one at the end. And we're also on the Insta, World Gone Good Podcast, at World Gone Good Podcast, I should say. Let's get social together. Yes, you show us your tweets and your pics, and we'll show you ours. That sounds way more dirty than I intended, but I'm going with it. And hey, did you hear the news that our website is up, our brand new website? If you followed us on the socials, you would know about our brand new website. Good Aplenty is happening at worldgonegoodpodcast.com. Check us out, follow us online, and we will follow you back. Okay, so... Here's a question I have asked a lot in the past almost two years. Hey, how's your pandemic going? (laughs) Remember when it all started mid-March of 2020 and we were like, oh yeah, two weeks. I can totally do lockdown for two weeks. This is no problem. This is great. It's like a little mini vacation. This is great. I love two weeks. Then it went longer than two weeks and everyone started panicking and baking banana bread and doing the push-up challenge. Okay, can we just digress for one second? What was that about? You film yourself doing 10 push-ups and then challenge friends to match your 10 push-ups? I don't mean to sound like a jerk here, but 10 push-ups? 10? Is that technically even a challenge? I mean, like 50 push-ups or even 25? That sounds like a challenge, but 10 I don't know. I didn't see that so challenging. Now, baking decent banana bread, that is a challenge. And FYI, I make a lemon loaf that can kick your banana bread's ass. But again, I digress. Getting back on track, we were in the throes of the lockdown. And for many of us, myself included, it was a complete reinvention of our daily life, right? Physically, mentally, and especially emotionally. This was you know, a really dark time with a lot of fear going on. And there were also, you know, in the darkness, some rays of light. And one of those rays of light came in the form of my guest today. Christina Wong is a performer, a writer, a teacher, a politician. She's an actual politician. She won a seat and holds a seat on her neighborhood council. And she's an activist. When things got dark right outside her own front door, she decided to shine her light and do something. And what started with sewing some masks evolved into publishing a book and opening an off-Broadway show. This is her incredibly inspiring and hilarious good and true story. Christina, you are a author, writer, actor, performer, sewer... 
sewer. I like to think of myself as a sewer, but yes, sewer. <laughs> what do you see yourself as when you wake up in the morning? Like, do you have one thing it is that you are, or is it, are you everything? I don't, you know, I, I can't sleep most nights. So I guess I'm already awake going, why is this real? Cause I think the last time we talked, Steve was at the top of the pandemic. Yeah. And like, I've had, I've had this whole life overhaul <laughs> where now I'm off Broadway talking about my pandemic experience and um, have a book that came out in the pandemic. All this stuff has happened. And I'm like, what? What the hell? I know you made <laughs> you you made art out of tragedy. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I, I, I wish that we didn't have to go through that. Um, but, you know, we did. And I just ran with it the way I knew how, which was to flail my arms around and try to take the conch cell like it was Lord of the Flies and, and try to be a leader in the situation, even though I didn't know what the hell I was doing. And one thing just kept going and another thing. And suddenly I was running a national mutual aid organization run, uh, powered by aunties. Yeah. Let, take us back to that. So let's, t- let's go back to a year ago. You're like most of us laying in bed going, why am I alive? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. So basically, and I, I can tell the story quickly because I reach, I tell it every night off Broadway, but um, March 12th, 2020, I was set to tour. I was on my first show of my tour of uh, Christina Wong for public office. I ran for public office in Koreatown in 2019 and I won and I created this whole rally show um, that was going to premiere at, um, uh, or sorry, that was going to play all before the presidential election, November, 2020. Like I, it was going to be this live rally that you'd watch in a theater. And as a reference point, you'd be watching all the Trump rallies and whatever rallies that were leading up to it. Right. And suddenly we were all deemed, at least we artists were deemed non-essential and tours canceled, uh, no income out thousands of dollars already in income, no idea how I was going to survive. And having lived through a couple other big tragedies in my adult life, 9-11, the 2008 recession, where it felt like, oh, it's all over, it's all over. And we still managed to be here, right? I was like, okay, I'm going to try something different. I'm going to try to figure out what power I have to support other people, even though I don't have any clue how I'm going to support myself right now, financially at least. And uh, it started with me um, talking to some of my unhoused neighbors and getting them some supplies they needed and finding out they really don't as much need food and uh, some of the things that, that they tend to get as much as uh, keeping clean. They needed quarters for laundry. So I started collecting quarters for laundry and um, so that, uh, to get them that and then collecting like tents and things like that for them so they could just be clean. Um, and then I, I uh, lobbied my neighborhood, no, not my neighborhood council, I'm on the neighborhood council, the city council office um, to get us uh, porta-potties for um for them because it was like it felt it felt very obvious to me if unhoused people in a pandemic cannot wash uh themselves or use a restroom because they can't go to the library or something use those facilities we're all going to get sick faster so um so i was wowed i did that and then seven days later i see this article saying that um 
masks are needed in the pandemic and that uh, aunties are being asked to sew masks. They were not necessarily aunties, but you know, who tends to sew or, or tends to be cisgender women who, who do a lot of sewing. Um, and I sew my sets and props for my shows and started to sew masks and uh, somehow made a very naive offer to the entire internet that I could send you a mask if you needed one. And that ballooned in front of me. And so four days later on March 24th, 2020, I started the auntie sewing squad on Facebook, which was just going to be an informal sewing group that was supposed to just be for like three weeks. It's going to be a stopgap until the government stepped in to help us. Spoiler alert, that never happened. And for 17 months, we blew up into this national mutual aid collective where we were doing relief vehicles to the Navajo nation. We were doing coat drives to Standing Rock. Uh, one of our aunties helped purchase a used ambulance for Standing Rock. We sent hundreds of thousands of dollars in medical equipment and hygiene supplies. We didn't necessarily buy it, but we helped source it and reroute it to farm workers and indigenous communities. We retired from sewing on April 15th, which was just a few months ago, um, but we still are getting supplies to indigenous communities. We we really developed some amazing partnerships and I have had a real close bird's eye view of how broken this fucking system is and how, how hard it is to get um, things to places uh, even before a pandemic. I'm now made aware of all these conditions in really rural areas uh, like parts of the Navajo nation, um, like reservations, like farm working communities. And, and a lot of what our group did was try to fill in those gaps and get get them the stuff they needed. How was it to for you to move from being artist to activist? Because so much of your art is centered in activism. You know, like I think as artists, we sometimes go around saying crazy shit like, oh, this is my life. I would die if I couldn't make art, right? But we, I, I don't have no idea what it's like to be a first responder, right? And this is maybe the closest I've experienced to it, right? to, to like have nurses messaging me saying, I'm, I'm afraid to go to work because they don't have enough masks at work. They're telling us to tie bandanas around our faces. Like, how do you say no to that? How do you just go, mm, I'm sorry, I have to self-care right now. So, um, so that was sort of a very weird thing to experience, but I feel like as artists, at least for me as a working artist, um, you know, the skills that I have in grant writing or marketing or like trying to get a message across to people very quickly to either get donations or butts in the seats or people to get active. It felt like I was running a theater company, except it wasn't <laughs> actors. It was aunties and it wasn't plays we were creating. It was, um, uh, this this mask making right like it was like this very strange it was a different kind of production it was a production line you know what I'm saying so um so I feel like and and when I looked around at who the aunties had stepped up to to really do a lot of leadership they they had never worked like in garments before or or um relief aid but we figured out how to do it and a lot of it was because we just know how to talk to people we know how to communicate urgency um, and one funny thing is the aunties who are not artists in the group, they said next pandemic, try to find the theater people. They know how to organize faster. Right. And it's <laughs> sort of true. We like, I, I, I think if I was not who I am, I don't think that I would have, cause it basically, I just spammed the shit on my audience list, mail, you know, newsletter with stuff about the aunties and the stuff about like 
here, buy a coat for some Lakota kids who, who aren't, don't have a coat this winter, you know, and use that same urgency, come to my show, but to support these other folks. And, uh, and I was pretty, I found myself like uh, doing it, like, instead of doing interviews about my latest show to the press, I was doing interviews about my weird band called the Auntie Sewing Squad, right? Like <laughs> it, it was, it felt like this strange, we, I felt like we were these weird little cute, charming rock stars during the pandemic because people were so charmed by our story and, and um, whether or not that meant they could, we could either activate them to the help, give us money, spread the word, help drive stuff around. You know, it was effective and, and uh, it was basically a movement. We sometimes joke it was a cult, but you know, it, <laughs> it, it was this really, it was a terrifying time. It's still, we're still in this time. Right. But it was also this moment where I got to witness generosity, like I've never seen it before. And, and uh, I still have no idea what a lot of the aunties do in their lives outside of sewing masks. Like, don't know how they make money. I don't know, you know, and, and, but I know that I love them because I, they were willing to give so generously. They were willing to risk their life and go to the post office, which felt like so terrifying at the top of the pandemic when we weren't clear, you know, exactly how do you contract this mysterious virus? What's so interesting to me is that so many times in the world and in our lives, it's just everybody wants to do something. Everybody wants to make the change. And sometimes it just takes one person because I remember when you asked for quarters and I remember contacting you going, what do you need? You're like quarters. I'm like, okay, how do I get you quarters? And you're like, Venmo me. And I'm like, okay, here's some money to Venmo. And then you turn that into quarters and you put up pictures about it. And it was such a simple thing. But again, people look for the people who are running toward, you know, the chaos as the leaders. Do you see yourself as a leader? I do now. You know, that was what was funny is like, I make this one little naive offer in the first 10 days of from the first moment I sewed the mask 10 days later. I, it was like a whole empire erected. It was like people like talk to Christina, talk to Christina, talk to Christina. Like, and I'm just like, is this what this is in chaos? You just become the one person that's like, oh, I think I know what to do. And I was like, what, what, what? You know, <laughs> like people were talking to me, like asking for like medical advice. You know, like, do I wear my mask this way, that way? Do I look at this, Christina? Can you talk to my friend who works at this clothing company? She is this, you know. And it was like I was on the phone 14 hours a day like, I feel like I was steering a ship that I'd never, and I never, yeah, with no driver's license. You know what I'm saying? Like it was, that was so, it was so crazy. Um, but yeah, I do. I, you know, I'm an elected leader and I feel like I got more done in terms of leadership and making change for communities with the auntie sewing squad than, than a neighborhood council. A neighborhood council is just like bureaucracy where you're sitting and trying to reach quorum and then a majority vote for a vote that is largely, you know, about uh, advising a vote that someone who has power will eventually make, right? Like it's just, it's so, so long and convoluted, but like with mutual aid, it's sort of, they describe it sometimes as anarchy. You just, you know, you see the need and you don't wait for like a grant application or whatever. You just like get those things to the people who need it immediately with as little red tape as possible. And it got to the point that at the end of this, Steve, um, in the last few months, we had a government agency actually ask us for help. Wow. They asked us for and hand sanitizer. And I was so angry because I was like, I've been waiting for 16 months for you to step in and help us. And now, yeah. I mean, and the thing is we're faster. We're the aunties were just faster. 
And we had to kind of say, we have to close down, not to punish people for asking us, but because we need these systems that are supposedly here the whole time to step up and do this. But also we need to take care of ourselves. We went on for 504 days. Our group was 504 days long, uh, 350,000 masks, eight relief vehicles, the Navajo Nation, plus more car relays that we're doing, um, two winter coat drives to Standing Rock and the Navajo Nation. Maybe it's three now, actually, because we just did a third one. Uh, you know, just hundreds of thousands of dollars of support. If you were to monetize or, or, or um, put value to what all our hours were, not that I like doing that. I mean, it would easily millions of dollars in labor had, had you paid, like we were like a shadow FEMA. And, um, and I'm not saying this to boast. I, I know, yes, I'm very proud, but I also think it's very sad that we were in the situation where week after week, month after month, we were still like sewing masks and sending them to people who didn't have access to them. Like what kind of most powerful country in the world are we if, if we can't meet these kind of basic needs for people? Well, you just made a very valid point. You started to talk about taking care of yourselves. And that's something we talk about on this show a lot. This is called World Gone Good. We look for the light in the darkness. We look for the people who are doing good in the simplest of ways. So my question to you is, for my listeners, how did you take care of yourself? Ah, 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 oh, my God. I have gained... Okay, so I gained a bunch of weight during the pandemic. Oh, please, I, join I lost, the club. Who did it? I've lost, I've lost it all doing this show as I, reenact, <laughs> as I reenact the 504 days of the pandemic in 90 minutes. But um, uh, I, this is the thing is I was doing terrible ter- care, uh, uh, terrible self-care. So we developed this whole system. And it was, it was sort of like an organic little thing because people were like, oh, I think you even sent some money, but like people were like, Christina's not doing well. I did. I did. I contacted you and I was like, what are you doing for you? I want to send you. I remember <laughs> sending you. I said, I'm going to send you an Uber. I'm going to send you an Uber gift card. Yes, and you go, you go, I don't need a car right now. And I go, I'm not talking about a car. I know you can't go anywhere, but I'm going to send you for Uber Eats. I, you need to eat. So, and that became clear too, because it's like, if I'm this exhausted and now I'm dragging other people into this, they're going to get this exhausted. Right. And so- I began to scream aloud to the internet, hey, you baking the sourdough bread, watching Netflix. I have aunties who are exhausted right now. And a lot of them, they're worse than me about stopping, right? They become obsessed about sewing because when you're like, someone's going to die if they don't get this mask. And that was what felt really clear. Like that was the stress I was under was all these people in my inbox going, help, 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 merciful Christina, help, help. And I'm just like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, this is basically, I'm just cutting up bed sheets, you know, and sewing them. <laughs> and and so we, I was like, I demanding that, that you know, if you're going to make us accountable to your health, we need you to be accountable to ours. And this is me mostly screaming at people with no means, right? Um, to our friends who can't sew. And it at first it was like to sponsor pizza delivery for an auntie. We're not food insecure, but it, you know, when a pizza shows up and it's hot, you stop then you eat it and you feel so nice that someone sent you a pizza, right? So so we had offers like that. We also had uh, our auntie Puneet did um, yoga classes for our aunties on Zoom. We had stretch classes. We had offers of tarot card readings. We had um, people just send postcards to uh, one of the grandmas, Mrs. Wan in her group. She um, she couldn't go visit her sister in Michigan. So her, her daughter, Sunny asked that we all send postcards to her. And so the, the system sort of like flipped from like weekly food delivery to, uh, 
but like once it became clear, like to others, like we'd rather you direct your actual cash towards um, some of the communities that were helping. Um, but people were cooking us, bringing by home cooked meals. And I, I never felt lonely in the pandemic. I actually feel, felt more lonely before the pandemic, I would say, because I saw people every single day um, in front of my home. And it was not the way you meet most people in LA, which is in, in the guise of networking. But, you know, meeting someone who's like, you know, it's dangerous out there. There's a virus outside, but I want to get these materials from Christina and help. Right. So, um, so that to me was one of the bright spots of a truly shitty time was witnessing how many people actually do care and, and are willing to sacrifice uh, in support of people they've never met before. And I hope that people who didn't do anything feel inspired by that and, and think about this the next time this happens. And unfortunately, I do think there will be a next time. I'm not making an excuse for myself. I am saying this. My husband is a nurse and he works at a clinic. And so I was really limited in what I could do because of him. Of course. Because I couldn't go out and do marches and gatherings or whatever it was. So I, what I was doing was contacting people like you, watching what you were all doing, going, you know what? I still, I still have a salary. I'm still working. Yeah. Here you go. Here's a Venmo card. Here's, you know, here's money through Venmo. It here's this so card. Useful. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's what a lot of us can do so much of the time is like, that's what I always say to, yeah. like even $5 makes a difference. Okay. So all this happens and then off Broadway calls and they go, Christina, we have a theater. Come do your show. Yeah. No, that's not what happened. Yeah. It, 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 yes. My message to everyone is start a mutual aid organization and you too will end up off Broadway after a pandemic. <laughs> it was so crazy, Steve. Like I have, no, I cannot believe that my, my last live show before this pandemic was a lecture hall. It was so unglamorous. The students got a text in the middle of the show that this, the campus was going online. Like it was so unglamorous. And suddenly I like, I have someone who gets me dressed. Like it's so <laughs> there's so many assistants on stage. And, um, but I have a relationship with New York Theater Workshop and I'm in their usual suspects, which is sort of like the the artists that are the inside who hang out and, you know, I can use the photocopier for free if I'm in New York and stuff. But I never thought they'd ever produce me because I thought, oh, I don't live in New York, so I'm not around to kind of catch their attention. But they had a virtual season during Zoom. They they pivoted and I was, uh, I created a virtual piece all throughout the, I had two shows. I, to- I turned Christina Wong for public office uh, into a zoom show. Uh, I just put the setup in my house and then I created this other show simultaneously, which which is me documenting what it was like to run the sewing group and witness the world from the lens of someone running a mutual aid group during the pandemic. It, It went from them producing it virtually as one of like, I think there were like 20 over 20 artists on their virtual season to them, um, saying we want to do it live in the fall and have it be the first live performance that opens our space, uh, in the East Village, and that reopens our space, and I was like, "What?" Because you know, it, you know, we, we had so many uh, false alarms of when we were going to reopen. So I was like, I wasn't even sure if we'd make it till here. I was kind of convinced, "Oh, we're going to close up again." But it, yeah, here I am. Did you do a pitch to them? Did did, did you have to give them a full script? Did they just say, "Christina, you have a story"? No. Well, so I had I, in May was when I did the virtual show. Um, so there was a script for the virtual show, uh, but I spent basically the months from June to like two weeks before we were open, (laughs) you know, like figuring out how to write the script or tell the story 
on a live stage for a live audience. And, and, uh, zoom is interesting. I, 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 I kind of enjoyed the format because you, you don't have to actually see your audience members and you can like do a lot of shorthand where, um, you just sort of move a computer around your house and different backgrounds are your set and stuff. And there's right, right. to it. Um, but yeah, they, they developed it. And I, I went to a Dartmouth, they have this residency where playwrights develop work. And so uh, it was, a, it was a smaller residency than they normally have. They normally host more playwrights, but because of COVID um, there weren't as many of us and I had a week to kind of work on it. And I still had a, one large act one, which was like already an hour long, I had so much writing to kind of cut, 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 cut through. But um, uh, I, I, I worked with Che Yu, who's, who's my director, and he was really good about kind of helping guide where it should go and figuring out what precious babies to kill off. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, it, this is very um, abnormal kind of schedule for playwrights. Usually playwrights usually have a play done. Um but, you know, I was jokingly pitching this at the top of the pandemic. I, I remember posting this photo and I tagged all my presenter friends because I really thought civilization was ending. I wouldn't have done this if I, had I not thought we were all going to die. You know, I really, that was the urgency I was acting under. And that's why I dropped everything and threw myself into this. But I, uh, I, I tagged all these presenters in a post saying, hey, theater presenters, when we reopen, I have the show called Christina Wong's Switch. And it was a very sarcastic, cynical, like, take on what I was going through. But I didn't actually think anyone would take me up on it. And, <laughs> and anyway, anyway, so it's happened. And where where's the show? It's at the New York Theater Workshop uh, space on East 4th, 79 East 4th Street in, uh, in the East Village. And how many days a week are you playing? Eight shows a week. I, today's my day off. It's Monday today. And it is exhausting. I did four shows over the weekend. I am the only cast member. Right. <laughs> it is so hard. I I thought my throat was going to split in half, but I was like, just keep saying a line. <laughs> yeah, I had I had Wendy Worthington on here. She toured in Wicked. She played uh, Madame Horrible in Wicked. And I asked her that question because she did eight or ten, whatever it is, a weekend. And I said to her, I go, when you're on like show number six, you know, of an eight show weekend, do you... Do you get bored? Do you get tired of your own material? Do you, how do you find the spark to keep it alive? And she said she always found something new, yeah, something, a new way to play something, a new way to look at something, a new way to just sometimes the line will come out of her mouth a different way. How is it with you when you're doing this by yourself? It is so hard. And I'm, I'm also getting used to a live audience again. And I see everything. And that's, I was like, oh yeah, I hated this. <laughs> They're all masked. So, um, not that I want them to be unmasked, but like, it's, it's really hard to tell what's going on, you know, in their faces. I hear the laughter and I'm getting, beginning to understand too, where this, where they're responding consistently to the script, but the, these matinees, let me tell you, love, listen, love all theater audiences, but <laughs> matinee audiences tend to be a little bit older and more it's like, like, why did you schedule a show during nap time? <laughs> No, they're not bored. It's really just their nap time. And like, that's, that trips me on because it's just so, and I'm like, okay, okay, just keep going, keep going. But we're also performing in the thrust. So the other audience members can see the people sleep. <laughs> oh, right. Cause you're in a, you're like a, you're in like a, a C, you're like a big, like yes. on each side. Right. You're yes. right, right. So that's I'm just funny. like, ah, but you know, it's, 
it's uh, it's it's kind of great to see some uh, these two students drove in from Michigan. I met her. I met, I met this one student because I, she needed to interview me. She's a theater student, and and he interviewed me for for a piece she ended up having to do virtually. And she and and she was sent me an email saying I'm coming from Michigan, and I'm thinking it's November. Why is she? Or it was in October. She's still in school. She they drove ten hours there and ten hours back to come see the show. Wow. And I'm getting to meet aunties. Aunties are flying in to see it. Um, so it's really, it, it feels really incredible. And I'm, I, I, I look at the piece and I'm so proud of how, how like it came together and, and how this, this group is, is going to be, you know, our story will be told and celebrated um, because I do remember at the top of this pandemic going, oh my God, all these I'm making all these women of color do invisible labor. <laughs> we're just a sweatshop. I mean, that's where the joke sweatshop overlord comes from. Is I looked at my first volunteers and they were all Asian women. And I went, oh my God, what is this? What have I done? Right? Like we, we were trying, we we're trying to get away from, from putting ourselves in this position. And, and I just remember thinking, like, I hope that we are remembered as more than like the face of the virus or the face of the people who were hate crimed, but that people, but people who also stepped up. Uh, and especially when I look at how many women were in the group who stepped up, I really want, I really want history to remember that. And I feel like I got my wish, at least in that case, I didn't get my wish in terms of, I want people, I don't want people to die, or I don't want our country to be more divided because of this. That didn't happen. But, um, I will say the bright spot is the scene, this specific community I help start, uh, form and these friendships that are, bonded in ways that other kinds of friendships are not. I describe us a lot like soldiers or veterans, you know, how like veterans, mm-hmm. not that I have any veterans in my family, but you know, like <laughs> they, they, really, they really like talk and, and have this respect for each other, even if they don't really know each other, just knowing that you went to war. Yeah. yeah. And I feel like that's how we sort of feel about what we had done in this time. Well, not that you asked or you care, but I am so proud of you. I've been proud of you for a long time. I feel it. Thank you, Steve. But it's also very bittersweet because so many people died. So much loss has happened. Yeah, but you helped. I mean, you kept so many people alive. And that's how you have to think about it. You gave so many, such a simple thing to so many people, a mask. And that saved so many lives, countless lives. You have no idea. You'll never know. That's so magic. Yeah, we'll never know. We will never know. We end these shows with three questions. They're totally easy. You know the answers. Question number one is the easiest one. Where do people find Christina Wong online? Uh, my name, Christina with a K, ChristinaWong.com. Or Ms. Christina Wong, MS Christina Wong on Instagram. And where do people find the book? Amazon, Target. Um, and then I was just walking by a local bookstore and... Uh, Nolita, and it was in the window. I was just like so psyched about that. So uh, you just look up the Auntie Sewing Squad book, and you'll find it. But yeah, it's we, I'm so proud of it. That book is written by all the aunties, and it's a really great archive of um, this work that we did together and tying it to history and um, solidarity movements and activism movements. So I, uh, I'm really proud of how that turned out. We have two final questions. I can go back to anything we've talked about or anything you want to say. Question number one, Christina, who inspires you? Hmm. Right now I say my aunties inspire me. They were just amazing in this whole process. And 
Um, I'll give my mom some cred. She's like, <laughs> I ended up writing my about my mom a lot more in this in the live show. She's not in the Zoom show at all, but um, she stepped up and really surprised me and was like sewing for BLM events and inmates in at San Quentin Prison. And I was like, is that you, mom? Like, it was like the closest I could get her to a radical. So, so I was very proud of her, and she's proud of me now. And the final question, go back to anything we talk about or anything you want to say. It's really simple. It's how we end the show. Tell me something good. <sighs> something good. Well, I, you know, I'm, I, I'm in love with our local food bank in LA, the World Harvest Food Bank. The founder, Glenn Carrado, is my best friend. He gave us CBD, expired beer, expired Girl Scout cookies all during the pandemic, which is how I like kept the aunties all drugged up. <laughs> and and he is so generous and I, I look to him as someone who's really generous and he inspires me to be generous to others thank you Christina for sharing your good get her book see her show and decide what squad you're going to create and run with to make some good yourself Next time on World Gone Good. Once in a while, you get shown the light in the strangest of places if you look at it right. During December, Elvis always did Christmas songs. He picked me up, put me on his knee, and sang Blue Christmas. The magic of the season isn't in a trend-savvy ornament or a perfectly trimmed tree. It's elusive and hard to define, but it is magic, and it is real. Light your menorah and shake your jingle bells. It's time for our second annual Holidays Gone Good episode. Get ready for some good story time with Batsheva Frankel, James Pettit, Mark Gibson, and the return of our super shiny good pal, Margot Potter. We're getting our Marion talking everything from spending Hanukkah at a Grateful Dead concert to a forced family decking of the halls against their collective wills to a holiday celebration with the king of rock and roll himself, Mr. Elvis Presley, and so much, much, much more good. But seriously, what more do I have to offer you? I just offer you the Grateful Dead and Elvis? What better gift would you want? Honestly, people. Grab your cocoa. Grab your wine. Mix them together. We don't judge. And come join us for some holiday magic. Until then, be good. Hey.